Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. For BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years in the tyre industry. BF Goodrich will be there to drive you on your next on or off-road adventure. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating, and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. And uh, I put the kite away this week because it was a little <laughs> bit, little bit <laughs> of settled weather during the week, which we haven't had for a while. Uh, it was much nicer than what we've had in the past three months, I'd say. <laughs> it was uh, calmed right off. We had some nice warm weather in that we- 24, 25, up to 30-odd. We did. However, I think it was Sunday. I remember looking out uh, at the ocean from the palatial mansion I live in. (laughs) (laughs) You are a wanker. (laughs) I remember looking out in the living room (laughs) over over the ocean. And thinking to myself, out of which glass window? Oh, the whole thing's a piece of glass. I forgot about that. One thing. And thinking to myself, shh, can you turn Siri off for God's sake? I love my watch. Like, um, and thinking to myself, this is this is horrific. It, it, you know, the weather's, weather's not terrific. And then you text me in the afternoon, absolutely slayed the tuna. And well, I thought to myself, where is he fished? Because it was... It was horrific. Well, just to clarify, it wasn't Sunday, it was Monday. Monday, sorry, Monday. <laughs> and it wasn't... It I've was, had a long week. I, I headed out in the morning with Whitey. Whitey's back. He coached uh, in down the Adelaide Strikers there, and he came back for a break. And Does he get an he, invite back to coach next well, year? Well, he's actually he? coaching now. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but he's now coaching the South Australian uh, Sheffield uh, Shield team. He's uh, happy with his work, aren't Probably he? Probably not. Uh, but <laughs> desperate. But <laughs> Whitey's back, and we love... No one else has gone for the job. No, they... Uh, Probably not getting paid either. It's a time killer. But he uh, he he loves his whiting. Yeah. And we, and we follow, love whiting. We do love whiting. Great They're probably oh, the most sought-after species, I reckon, in Port Phillip Bay, and, and if not on the bottom side of Australia, to be honest with you. And loves his whiting. We got him back, and this is, comes back to what you were saying. When the swell's up, pushes the dirty water in the bottom side of the heads, Pat, as we know, and that flood tide. It was quite a slow flood due to the moon that we just had pass uh, on Friday. But it was... The ideal whiting condition. Swells cranking, dirty water, small tide, but when you picked the right part of the tide, which we always talk about, we got 60 fish. He had another mate that he plays cricket with come along. We had a fantastic day out there. Caught some really, really good fish. 60 fish. Day, was, We started at 7.30 and we're done by 9 with 60 whiting very quickly. The gamma worm hook, size 6, if those want to bite, it's spot on. And uh, then I got home and I was a little bit bored and I've got this, I've got a bit ADD. I can't really sit still. 
And I rang, Sammy Goodwin rang me and he said, can we go out for some lunch? I said, I want to go for a tuna. And he's gone, oh, is there any wind? I said, oh, a little bit. Can I, can I interrupt you before you get on to your gallivanting about tuna? You caught 60 whiting. Mm-hmm. You know how much they're worth? <laughs> That's about 300 grand's worth of fish. <laughs> They're $110 I'm, I'm trying a to buy ki- a new window like yours, Pat. <laughs> They're $110 a kilo at the moment. Well, do you know what? It's that it's been doing the rounds on social media, the $110 for King George Whiting. They say it was uh, from Melbourne. Uh, and meanwhile, there was one fish that was worth uh, nearly 200 kilo in a fish itself, 220 $200? because there was an 80 centimetre whiting that was caught in uh, Tasmania during the week, which is a massive fish, huge. Todd Lambert was the angler. Quite astonishing thing. Like, I've, that's a good size kingfish. Well, we were catching really nice whiting, and they were average like thirty eight to forty four. It's, it's double the, the size of this thing we were catching. It, well, that's what they put on bait to catch that fish. <laughs> Sorry, so, I, I. Well, there is a photo doing social media rounds. One hundred and ten dollars a kilo at the moment for King George whiting. Now, do you reckon the blokes put it on and put a photo up on Instagram or Facebook, and then the next day he's on? Oh, bargain! Now it's eighty dollars a kilo. Perhaps. Pretty smart. He got me stooge anyway. But back to what I was saying. So Sammy rang me, so he said, all right, let's go for a tuna. Now, the tuna have been in really, really big numbers offshore, Pat. I don't know if you've seen any from your house. Out of that big window. You seen any mutton birds out there? I actually haven't. Haven't? Okay. Well, caught- when you've caught them on those you know, pretty crappy days, it's obviously really hard, hard to, to see, see. Yeah, from, you're a, right. from a long distance. Well, but it's the ideal time to fish for them. Well, it's spot on. And so what's been happening is I got some fantastic fish in the nice weather during a bit earlier in the... in A bit earlier... Bit, sorry, at the end of last week and earlier this week when it calmed up a bit. But it was the time to go. It was rough. I knew I was going to catch fish. Now, I rang Sammy, let's go out. And we're going to talk a little bit about bar crossing shortly. But I went out, it was pretty hairy. The swell was like that two and a half to four metres. So it was quite... Crappy to get it to get through the bar, and the rip would have been a little bit nasty on that outgoing tide. If you need a bit of an image on what it looks like, just picture Aaron as George Clooney in perfect storm. That's <laughs> wasn't far that's off. Just about so what it was like. Sammy Goodwin said to me, he goes to quite often when I'm fishing with anyone. I say if I'm crossing a bar or the rip, which I do every sort of day, I say just hold on. Like just most people are holding on, but looking out at birds or looking at the sky or whatnot in their own little world. I said, hold on, boy. Look, so Sammy, hold on. We got past the waves, and Sammy goes to me. That was, out of every time I've fished with you, that was the first time I've ever held on. And I'm not going to say the words he said afterwards, but I don't think he could let go of the rail from the indents of his fingers where he was holding on. So it was a bit rough. But anyway, the fish went really, really well. And I was pulling around the Bangers teaser bars. And we're going to have um, Kai from Bangers on in a couple of weeks to take us through basically all the technology that goes into the teaser bars themselves and how they work to bring fish up. So the teaser bar is sends a lot of noise, Pat, and it's a bar with lots of squid hanging off and you're trawling and you actually got your lure attached. And if you do want to uh, listen to any of our other shows, you can head to or download the Real Adventures app on your any smartphone and you can listen to our shows. And we have reviewed the teaser bars uh, in the past. So they worked really well in the rough, but because it was rough, we, we didn't have to be picky, Pat. We could literally, I had short corners going, I had every rod going, and we landed between sort of 12 or 15 fish, I'd have to, I don't know exactly, but we kept, and this is another thing, a lot of people going out there and keep, when they're on and keeping a lot of fish, I don't think tuna's that good of eating, like I know people love their sashimi and whatnot, which I gave you a bag during the week, I'm not sure how you ate it, but there's only so much raw fish I think someone can eat, and I'm... I can't eat any of it, so I'm probably being a bit biased here. But I know even like my brother and Gibbsy and the guy, mates of mine, they eat their 
little bits of tuna. And but they, they have a lot of bits and pieces of it. So just go take what you need to take. You don't need to t- I could have taken four fish, but we took two. Sammy took one whole because he's weird. Sam, our good friend of the show. Yeah, he's master. a chef. He's so a chef. It's... Yeah, but you know what he's done? Taking it whole. He's dry aging the whole trunk of the fish pot in the fridge currently. He's going to leave it there for like 10 days. I wouldn't want to be in that kitchen. I'm not. Hot tip. Anyway, so that was my week on the tuna. The whiting went good. The gummies, I got off there uh, middle of the week when that northerly come. They were really fun to catch also. So the fishing uh, in my world is fishing really well. And the whole the whole country's fishing well. The marlin are going up the east coast. You've got the mahi-mahi out wide. Uh, Tasmania. Uh, sorry, we won't talk about Tasmania. I'm South Australia. Uh, they've been catching some seriously good tube bluefin tuna as well. The Sam Whiting off the Harbour beach. Going off at the moment. Yeah, right, Victor right, Harbour's right, gone really, south, really good. Yep. Uh, and you've also got the Mulloway too off the beaches. So that's, it's it's going really well at the moment. Inland, what yes. else is going well right throughout the Victorian sort of region is the trout fishery. Yes, it is. Because we haven't had a really warm summer. It's been phenomenal. And the thing to note with when you, if you're interested in going trout fishing, because we've had a few downpours, it's important not to go and fish it immediately after a downpour because the water will be stirred up. It'll be quite dirty. This isn't whiting fishing, so you, you want clear, clean water. Um, so give it four or five days, three or four days to settle um, after a, a decent sort of downpour. But it's fishing incredibly well. Mark um, Wagel from Millbrook Lakes, who we've had on the show before, his lake system that he's got, um, and you can go up and stay at Millbrook Lakes, uh, it's the best season he's had huge huge fish and they're catching a huge amount of them so it's great to see the fishery right around the, the, well, we, the country but particularly for us it's going really well well i had dinner up at your place last week and i was chatting to your old man he reckons it's the best trout fishing he's had especially this time of the year your dad's yeah. going like going and getting 10, and he's fishing fish. a couple of times a week yeah, yeah. he's yeah. really enjoying it. and he's actually changed to the fly i'm not sure how he's fly fishing amongst all those big trees but john boy will make it work won't he <laughs> he'll try hey a bit of fishing news Shimano, yep, um, undoubtedly the lead. the leading, uh, well, manufacturer when it comes to reels, rods, and just about everything else. Um, they've released uh, and updated their Stratic range, and it it got me thinking whether they've potentially shot themselves in the foot, Redmond, because we spoke might have been this time last year on the show around their their new range of reels and how Stratic has really taken the industry by storm because they're really good value and, you know, how could you justify spending, you know, $1,000 on a reel? Now, the limitation for, for, for Stratic had always been they'd gone up to the 5000 but never beyond it. Mm. Now, that's changed. The, this new range is hitting up to, to 10000 the 10000s and it certainly begs the question, why would you buy a Stella unless you're going to fish every day? Like, it's it's got me stumped. I'm so excited to try out these new reels because I bloody love the Stratics. They are a fantastic reel, and I run them uh, every day. I So I run the 2,500 Stratic on my whiting rod, my squid rod. I run the 5,000s on my snapper setups and also on my basic offshore setups. And all these tuna I'm catching on the surface pad, casting the bungee cast, is on the 5,000 Stratic. Now, once I've hit 5,000, for instance, chasing bigger gummies or bigger kingfish, I've moved then into the Saragossa market. Now, the reason that I have done that is obviously that Stratic never went up to the 5,000 plus, or never went over 5,000. Correct. Yeah. Now they have. But 
the one thing I haven't seen these reels, I haven't touched them. If they, I'm I'm looking at the photo that you've shown me as we speak, and that they look like they're going to be very similar to the five thousand. The look, the feel, everything about them. Now, are they? The reason I've gone Saragossa's in my other reels, I still like I just said, is for the toughness and the durability of them. Yep. They are a stronger reel. They're fantastic. A, they're, they're a very strong and buff reel. Like they're, they're tough and they can handle those big kingfish. And they're great value compared to... Extremely good value. The top end where you're spending 1400 versus 400 Yeah, le- legit. So it, it, it's one of those... I don't, like you said, like I said before, I don't know how they're going to go. I haven't used them. They've only just come out. I am going to get my hands on probably a couple in each sort of model because they are a lighter reel. They're a nicer feel reel. So what I mean by that is you can run a 10,000 Stratic on a casting rod. It's going to be lighter than a 10,000 Saragossa. It's very hard to get a Saragossa to cast in that 10,000 range because it's so big and heavy. And what I mean by that is you've got to match it with a rod. So the rod weight has to feel right to get a nice cast where these things that they've just bought out look tremendous. They look like they're going to be quite light. But are they going to be as durable as a Saragossa when it comes to your bottom fishing or your heavy king fishing, running live baits and whatnot? So that's what you, we need to look at when I get them. And I reckon we'll wrap it up with a review um, in a few weeks or a few months when I actually get a bit of time to test them out, Pat. They'll be available in stores from March and RRP of 449 available in the 5,000XG, 6,000XG, 8,000 and 10,000HG sizes. So we're looking forward to that. Uh Bar crossings, yep. it's one of the the biggest risks you can just about take in a boat, one of the more dangerous things you can do. Now, you launched off bow on heads over the weekend in some pretty hairy conditions, and it got you thinking, the do's and don'ts when it comes to navigating a bar successfully and safely, more importantly. Yeah, and it's a, like you said, it's one of those places that things can go wrong very, very, very quickly. Uh, whether it's the rip, whether it's the Naruma bar or whatever it is, all bars are worst on an outgoing tide. That's when they're at their worst, when they're on an outgoing tide. So what happens is... So that water's pushing out against the the incoming waves and it's jacking up the size of the waves, essentially. Especially on the first half of the uh, first half of the tide in the ocean. Now, this is going to get a tiny bit confusing, but I won't go into it too much. But what happens is the the ocean... uh, always changes before the before the river. So what happens is the ocean tide's actually coming in and you've got the actual start of the outgoing tide, at uh, the end of the outgoing tide, going out against that start of that flow. So on top of that, you then have waves. Now, it's going, it's coming in, it's meeting the entrance of the, the river. Now, you say I went out in some bad conditions, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was hairy, and I'll be honest with you, it was a bit crappy, but I've done this a lot. I'm very experienced. I know my boat well now. I'm confident in my engine. I'm confident in everything that I've got, that nothing's going to go wrong on that side of it, which puts you ahead already. So when I approach the river, the Bowen River, I head out. Now, I've surfed my whole life up until pretty much now because I'm too lazy. I understand how our waves work in the ocean really well. Quite often our sets roll in between sort of five to eight waves. In between that, you have your bomb sets that come through at times. You have, but if you tend to sit at the mouth of the river just before it all gets nasty, you can just watch it. I, I didn't watch it. I, I sort of watched it as, as I was coming out. But if you're going out for the first time and there is a little bit of roll, you can just sit there and you can take in the water movement actually coming in and, and time those waves. So you, most surfers will know there's, there's, there's seconds balancing in between each set of waves. Yep. So you have a period of time as it comes in. So I let the, I just in my own head, I watched it, I was coming out. I said, oh, there's that first set. As I got to the mouth, there's the second set. All right, let's go. As I got to the back, the next set was sort of rolling in. 
And the waves were breaking. And how I was approached it was, I always kept my nose and my boat facing at the wave. I never, ever turned side on. Never, ever turn side on. Never turn around either because the chances of outrunning that wave at times can be minimal. Yes, it does slow up at the river. I do know that, but I'm talking on average. Don't turn your engine. Keep your nose. If you've got time to turn and get away, you can, but don't get to the wave and all of a sudden turn because as that wave starts to suck you up, you're gone. You're literally going to go over. So you're going to hit the wave with your nose hitting it. As you, as you approach the wave, you slow down, and as the wave comes, then you accelerate and push yourself up and over the wave. You want to keep your nose up. You don't want to have your nose flat where the wave crumbles and hits over the top of you and then pushes you sideways and you broach either way and it can turn you. As you hit the wave, you're motoring nicely. You're just sl- not slowing down. You're just motoring nicely. You slow up a little bit as it comes, and as it's about to approach you, you just push up and you push yourself through that white water. The reason for it clearly not accelerating to the wave is you don't want to hit it and then lip launch yeah. the boat in the air. It's not. You'll smash yep. everything. You'll smash the boat in half, let's be honest. So yep. approaching it, you can approach it with speed, and then as you get to it, slow up. So you slow your boat, sits down, and then you want to push the nose up. It's about keeping the, the nose up. So getting out is the hard bit. Getting in is actually quite easy if you do the right things. It's about following the actual – it's about following the waving. So, for instance, I'm coming back through the river. I'm driving in. And I'm looking as I'm approaching, I can see where the waves are breaking, where they're starting to break, being in, uh, being mindful that I know that it could start to break a little bit further out with a bigger set. And as I come in, the wave breaks in front of me. I speed up to that wave as quick as I can. Then I sit on the back of that wave. I don't go in front of it and I just follow it in. It's as simple as that. I don't go ahead of it. I don't go past it. I do nothing. I sit on the back of that wave while it's breaking. Then as it starts to lift, you might find there's gutters and stuff in bars where it starts to lift up. You'll find that they'll tend to lift back up again. Don't just scoot in front of it because it's gone flat water and it's not breaking. Stay behind it again. Make sure your mate's looking behind you as well or you're looking behind, be mindful of the one behind you too. But if you follow a waving, quite often you're going to be no worries in crossing a bar. And that there is the short side of uh, crossing a bar pat. Up next, we've got the Social Club. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge. And don't forget to download the new Real Adventures app. It has all our latest podcasts, fishing news, tips, and recipes. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge, celebrating 150 years. It's time for the Social Club where we take your questions from social media, or better yet, send it into our Real Adventures app and we'll answer it from there. The first question is from Bill Red of been watching you release tuna during the week. What is the best way you find to set them free without hurting the fish or getting blood everywhere? Good question, Billy. Um, it's one of those things that it they're not an easy fish to release. They aren't. They're, they're a strong fish. They're heavy like, I, I uh, had a mate, Mitch, come out a couple of weeks ago, and he caught these fish. And he goes, oh, how heavy are you these? Five or eight kilo? I said, you lift it up. Because we caught kingfish the week before. 25 kilo. Yeah, <laughs> he goes, I can't even lift it. Like, they're 25 kilo. They are meat. They are bullets. They are, they are the ultimate weapon in the ocean. So, they are hard to handle as well. Now, during the week, what I did was, I got a photo with, an, with a couple of them for work and whatnot, and what people wanted to do. But I was the reason that we kept catching them, Pat, was for the adrenaline of the rush when the rod screams off in the rod holder or when you cast to it and that hook up, you fight them. They're good fun to catch. And then you can release them on the side. So how we did was we leaded them up to the side, 
you know, the D hooker that I always talk about. Make sure you get the stainless one, not the wooden handle. The wooden handle spins. So when you go to the tackle store, get the red handle plastic one or the full stainless, not the wooden one. And I reach over the side and I literally, quite often, you don't have a gut hook on a tuner because you're either winding in a a stick bait or a bungee cast and it's they hit it and they eat it and it hooks them in the lip or the lure itself hooks it and you're moving. So that's why very rarely will you get a gut hook. Now, um, as it comes up, we just reach over the side with that D hooker, pull sideways, pop it off, it's gone. If you do want to get it in the boat for a photo, you've got a couple of ways. Uh, the hook'em nets are great. You can net them, they're deep and they, you can scoop them up and lift them up to the side of the boat without hurting them and pick it up straight away to get a photo. Have your mate ready and that's a good way to get them in the boat uh, without having to grab the fish because they are hard to grab. Another way is to grab the fish, but you don't want to let it... Now, this is why I said the net's the better way, but if you can get the fish alongside, grab its tail, right as close as you can to the tail, have your mate keep leading the fish up in front of you, so holding the line in front of you, get your hand... You need to support the belly. Remember I said how heavy they are? You need to support the belly of the fish and lift it up. Because if you just hold it by the tail and drop it all of a sudden, it's going to smash into the side of the boat and the weight of it's going to also hurt the inside of it. So that's another good way. And that's how I, I did it during the week. I just lifted them up and grabbed them and, and got the photo. And then I just pretty much shoot it straight back over the side. So there's a few different ways you can do it. But be mindful that they are very hard to handle. They are strong. If you are only doing it for the adrenaline rush of catching it and not actually... Uh, and not actually getting a photo with the fish, then just reach over the side and pop it off and film it swimming off. That there is pretty much how I would uh, release a fish. Next question is from Wes. Danger. When you have your Dometic CFX on the boat running, do you actually put your catch in it on the day, or do you just put your food and drinks in it? God, no. It's food and drinks. No fish. And to look sensational on the boat. Back to the wank factor, Patrick. (laughs) Oh, that's why you have the, the cool box. There's so that's what you're running. So you're running a cool box system and a CFX. Absolutely, yep. I have the CFX set up when the old hard top, the old 650, it was set up in the cabin. The same, I set it up under the skipper's seat now in my Staby craft. Um, you've got to be mindful on the 1550 Staby, as everyone does when you're running a smaller boat with um, a, you know something like a CFX because you really don't want too much sort of salt water around it. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend going the the ice boxes for the fish. Yep. And yeah. the other thing is, and and our I love our uh, Dometic ice boxes. They have been a tad boring in their colouring and design. So one thing that we can look forward to this year, Redmond, is a bit of colour in the new Dometic rain. So we're looking forward to seeing that throughout the year. So the Col- white, the white colour is the selling point. It's, mate, it is all about aesthetics. Don't worry about that. All right, Hunter. <laughs> Boys, what is your favourite fish to eat and how do you cook them? Well, you cook any fish on hot things. That's the one. On something hot, Pat. Well, that's... Yep. Yep, that's good. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. What's your favourite fish to eat? You've been right around the country. My favourite fish is um, sashimi kingfish. And I'm not a... Like, Back I am, to what I said, I am, we have stoves. I am not a massive sashimi sort of man. But your favourite fish... It really is. I want you to think again now. Your favourite fish is sashimi kingfish. Well, Ado, our wonderful cat's chef, yep. he brings it in and it... Mate, I'm telling you, this stuff is just... Of course delightful. he brings it in. You weren't going to supply it. 
<laughs> so that's that's all right. That's, well, that's, that's my, no, well, that's, so obviously you don't cook it, but you would. Have, how does he prepare it? Wasabi, with soy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go flathead. Uh, I actually ate it during the week, and bloody my kid just keeps. I, I don't know where he puts food. It's actually starting to really annoy me because he's going to cost me a fortune when he gets older. But he ate four pieces of flathead during the week, and I just literally flathead, best fish in the sea to eat. The simpler you cook it, the better it is. And I literally butter in the pan, I salt and pepper my fish before it goes in either side. I drop it into the pan. I squeeze a tiny bit of lemon over the top of them, turn them over, do the same thing on the other side. I don't think there's a better tasting fish in the sea than flathead. Beautiful work, Raymond. That is the Social Club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures app or you can follow us and send us a message on our Twitter and Instagram pages. It's time for our dream boating destinations. Our destination for this morning is beautiful Beachport, roughly 300 kilometres from Adelaide, the northern end of Rivioli Bay. Uh, it's a well-known cray fishing destination. It is. Um, it's got a huge jetty, um, you know, nearly 800 metres long. Um, it's a really well-known beach fishing destination. And when it comes to rednecks, and I'm looking at you, Redmond, <laughs> not just I'm not just saying because of your physical sort of attributes. Um, Thank There's you. plenty of people that love to go there and hoon around on the beaches, but it is one of Australia's great places, not only to to explore and adventure on the beaches, but to fish from the beach as well. Oh, it's I went there. I think not a couple of Australia Day weekends ago. Uh, I went over there, and I don't. I had a time in my life. We took a few cars down there uh, on the beach. We had a couple of Land Cruisers. Uh, we had a Ranger, we had a Volkswagen, we had a few different cars, which I think that's the key to it, is going there with other people because things can go wrong very quickly, as I, I was, found out. I was just about to say, did they all <laughs> survive? I'll tell my little story just quickly. I was heading, when you first turned down this, uh, you come through a caravan park onto the beach, and as you get there, uh, as you get there, it looked like really hard sand, but I didn't know, I hadn't even been there yet. We've just done the delivery to the campsite. We're coming back to get a few more items. And we had our radios to call, and it was just my car. And I thought it was hard sand. Didn't know the creek runoff was running onto it, and it was completely mud. My car was stuck. The tide was coming in. Thank God a guy come down with this massive Land Cruiser, and I'm like waving him down. I gave him fifty bucks to tow me out. Took him like five goes to wrench me out with his. He had a done up car that was like mine was a standard, and he just he couldn't even get me out. And this tide's coming in. I thought my car was gone. Anyway, enough of that story. I don't. How often, I'll stay away from four wheel driving. How often do we see that right around the country? Oh, particularly stuck, caught out. <laughs> but anyway, it's a uh, it's a great place. We went fishing. We got some seriously good salmon. Uh, my brother, Tin, asked a mull away off the beach, so he did really well there. I don't know how he did that. But back to the diving side of it, we launched off the beach there. Uh, the key to it, find a hard bit of sand. I know that sounds dumb, but spend the time finding that hard bit of sand. And you can even find a, a rip to travel out in, so you don't have the waves breaking on the beach. Find a nice rip. You can put your boat in there. And we just tucked... I don't know how to explain it. You can you could go anywhere. You could you could go left, right, forwards, backwards, and there's going to be reef there with crayfish on it. One thing I did notice, isn't a bad thing, a lot of undersized crays. Yeah, like a lot of undersized crays. But in its own, if you haven't done Beachport, uh, pick your weather patterns when you go there. It's a beautiful place to go. You can. St- I would be trying to stay away from the caravan parks. Uh, I love camping and the great outdoors. It's, I don't think it's much fun. There's no power. You set up, you find your place in the dunes, you set up your camp with your mates, you cook on your... We took the rotisserie up there. We had a ball. So Beachport is our dream boating destination for today, Patrick. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodridge. They've made a lot of memories in their 150 years, most importantly, driving you to create memories of your own. Mm-hmm.
All aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. Back to Real Adventures. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Our special guest this morning for All Aboard is Peter Taranto from Easy Toe Trailers. Good morning, Pete. Good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, the reason we get him on today is to explain basically everything involved in building a trailer, why to choose a certain trailer and whatnot. And you and I have both been fortunate enough to put an easy tow both under our North Banks, haven't we, Pat? We have been. And it's sometimes it's a bit of a hard thing to really sex up and make exciting, to be honest, Redmond, when it comes to boat trailers. Have you, not, have you not seen the straps on the back of my boat? I tell you what, you do appreciate when things go wrong, then you realise just how important it is. Pete, talk us through Easy Toe. Started in 1965. What's your role within it all? No worries. So, yeah, started in 1965, uh, before I was born. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I'm the sales and marketing manager for Easy Toast. Um So, uh, yeah, I've been here for about seven years. Um, and, yeah, basically my primary role is to look after our, um, our dealer network um, and our OEM customers. Um, basically, any, anything to do with sort of sales and marketing uh, for Easy Toast falls, falls under me. It's got to be a wizard to make trailers sexy, Redmond. Now, one of the biggest challenges, clearly, that we we all have at, at different stages is the the balance between spending good money on really good equipment versus the cheaper alternatives. And what we've seen certainly creep into the market over the last few years is the imported trailers and componentry, which are available not in not only in in boating, but certainly in the outdoor segment, whether it be caravans uh, and that sort of thing. Talk us through the risks, because obviously, easy tow their trailers and your trailers are all manufactured in Australia with Australian components and it's backed up by that same level of servicing. Absolutely, yeah. So um, there's, there's certainly Easy Toe um, and there's a couple of other good manufacturers in the, in the marketplace. But, um, yeah, you know, when you import a trailer from a, from overseas, um, I guess the risks are that uh, they may not be compliant with uh, Australian design rules and laws. Um, so you've got issues there. Um, carrying capacities quite often are underdone from uh, boats that come from overseas with packages, uh, and you know there, there is significant um, cost differences too when you when you're buying a boat trailer. Um, you know, there's you know generally generic trailers can be sort of you know twenty percent cheaper than than a custom made trailer. Um, but, but certainly that that twenty percent, if you're planning on keeping your boat for you know for a handful of years. Um, significantly pays itself off in the long run. How do you tell when it comes to carrying capacity? How do you get a good guide on what should carry what? Particularly when you've had, you know, you might have, have bought a boat, the trailer's cactus, and you're looking to update it. What's the best way yep. to go about knowing what sort of trailer to, to put under it? Um, if you're buying a brand new boat, um, probably the best conversation to have is with your dealer that you're buying it from, um, or if it happens to be the manufacturer. Um, they've obviously put together a lot of these packages over time. Um, so they would have, you know, generally a, a good manufacturer would have weighed their packages. Um, so, and, and, and quite often they'll work with us um, to develop the right carrying capacity trailer um, for, for their customers' needs. So, yeah, ask the manufacturer, look, you know, is this, is this the, the right trailer for what I'm doing? Um, you know, if you're planning on going away and loading your boat up, putting, you know, uh, full of fuel and, and, and putting a reasonable amount of fish on board, 
Um, sometimes you may want to speak to um, your dealer uh, about, you know, getting a trailer with a bit more increased capacity. Pete, I was having a bit of a laugh with Pat because I couldn't explain explain what I was trying to explain to him at the start of the start of when we met up today. The componentry yep. was the word I was after, and I finally found it. What <laughs> makes your trailers different to anyone else's with the components that actually go into it from the break in right through the whole lot? And that was the bit that I got confused in. So I'll let Pete do the talking you, you from conf- now on. You confused me, so I'm glad <laughs> we got Pete here to talk through the componentry that's important when it comes to trailers. Um, yeah, so different trailers obviously have different applications. Um, obviously, the trailers that get the harshest treatment are the ones that are going in the salt water condition. Um, so we always try and make sure that you know um, all our fishing boat trailers that you know have hydraulic brakes, run good quality stainless steel calipers. Um, uh, you know, even, even our winches, um, our bearings. Um, we, we run all premium componentry. You know, from the from the wheelbase all the way to the to the top of the winch post. Um, Yes, it's, it's a little bit more expensive, but, um, you know, they're uh, they good componentry and, and um, it's, you know, anything that's going to make launching and retrieving your boat at the ramp easier, um, I, think I'm, I think everyone's in favour of. Talk us through aluminium versus galvanised trailers. There's been a real swing over the last few years towards aluminium trailers. I think the, the knock-ons initially were, you know, were they bend, were they flex, just people's preconceived ideas around aluminium and what it's like and its um, its properties versus it's something that's really widely accepted now as a really good way to, to tow your boat behind an aluminium trailer. Um, we've certainly seen a shift in our business um, with sales to a, a significant increase um, with alloy trailer um, market share. Um, we think that because cars are towing great, yeah, a lot of cars these days, like a Ford Ranger or something like that's going to... Um, Going to tow three and a half ton. The Siggy cars now are doing four and a half ton, which which are becoming pretty common vehicles. So we're finding that people are buying bigger boats. Um, and when you buy a bigger boat, um, the difference between an aluminium and a steel trailer can be, you know, on a on a seven meter boat, for example, um, it can be two hundred kilos of weight saving. Um, so there's certainly some advantages there from a significant weight saving to, to look at buying an aluminium trailer. Um, so I think that's the, the big key is, is the actual weight saving that you get from aluminium. Um, there's obviously, you know, like like every manufacturer, there's um there's, there's good aluminium trailers on the market, and there's and there's poor quality ones. Um, but you know, if you stick to a, a good quality um, Australian built alloy trailer, um, you're not going to have any issues with uh you know flexing and and, and, and those kind of um you know um things that you may hear, hear hear around the traps that people are having issues with. Now, last question before we uh. Before we let you go, Pete, skid versus yep. rollers trailers, the benefits on, on each factor there? Um, like anything, there's, there's pros and cons of both. Um, back in the day, the commercial fishing fishing guys really loved full skid trailers just because they were low maintenance, they work really well um, and are uh, very easy to use. Um, kill rollers have their advantages where if you're launching on shallower ramps, um, you may want to look towards a kill roller style trailer. Um so there's a bit of merit there with with, with those. Um, but some boat designs too seem to work better with certain design trailers that we find. Um, so we've got that information and experience over the years. So we you know we welcome customers to talk to our dealers, talk to us about you know what model boat they actually have, and and, and we'll actually give you know tell us what you're doing with your boat, and and we'll give you um, our best um, advice on on what design trailer we think you should have. 
Pete, if people are looking to update their trails, how can they get in contact with you guys? We really appreciate you coming on the show this morning. But if people want to know where to get their trailers, where do they go to? Yep. Um, best thing you can do is um, is uh, jump on our website, um, www.easytoe.com.au. Um, all our contact details are on there. Or, um, yeah, uh, give us a call, let us know where you're from, or send us an email, um, and we'll uh, let you know where your nearest dealer is. Beautiful work, Pete. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on Real Adventures. Peter Taranto from Easy Toe Trailers. Thanks again for having me, Josh. Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. We're talking lures this morning. We are, Patrick, and we are talking atomic dragsters. Now, tuna going nuts right around the whole well, coast of south coast of Australia right now from right through Adelaide area right into the bottom of Victoria, even into Mallacoota and the bottom of uh, New South Wales there. And one of, the, one of the products that people use to chase tuna is a deep diver. And everyone just often thinks straight off the top of their head, Rapala deep diver, Rapala deep diver. And they do. They are a fantastic diver. But a new product that comes out, that has just come out, is the Atomic Dragster, like I said before. It is a fantastic deep diver. Now, what it does, it trawls at speeds that no other diver does. You can trawl these little 130s right up to 15 knots. So 130 millimetres, they will trawl at 15 knots right up close to 18 certain conditions. Obviously, if it's super rough and the waves are blowing out here and there. Which is just astonishing to think because every other lure is literally going to be dragging at the top of the surface. And dra- jumping out, like hitting, just, your lures, uh, hitting your other lures, hitting your other spread, whatnot. Mate, you'll hit the top of your rat rig. Don't worry about that. Oh, yeah, the way they flee. They are, they are they're the most dangerous thing in fishing. I actually stopped the boat when I got people who aren't experienced to bring them in because they fly out and they will literally knock you in the head. But they swim to depths for three to six metres. Obviously, the harder you pull them, the more they grab in, but they can they can tend to pop out if you go stupid speeds of like 18, 20 knots. But for tuna, you're not trolling that fast. You're trolling that 10 to 12 kilometres, which is that five to seven knots. So these lures, like I said, you're not going to catch fish if they're jumping out of the water. The 130s I've been using on the school tuna outside of here, but if you want to put them on for a barrel bluefin tuna, you can head up right up to the bigger models, and the bigger models are 190, 190 millimetres. They are a big, big lure, but once again, they hold their depth even better than what the smaller lures do. Uh, now, you can obviously buy these straight off the shelf, but one of the things that you will always recommend is changing your split rings and then also changing the hooks that you're running. Yeah, they come with trebles. And trebles, don't get me wrong, they can work in your favour here and there. But to release a fish or to even get the fish up and not have the chance of uh, or trying to take the treble out of a hook, not have the chance of it actually flying out and getting caught in the other half of your arm and then all of a sudden you're stuck to the fish, I, t- I get rid of the trebles. I can't stand trebles. Yes, they are strong enough. These are very, very strong trebles. They will hold your fish. So if you are, for instance, if you're out there and you've got one sitting on the dash and you've lost one and you want to throw one out quickly, by all means, you will, it'll land you the fish. But I would definitely be upgrading the split rings and putting... Uh, a single hook. Now you need to match it to the fish size that you're chasing, and the, and if you go too big of a hook, like to a five o six o, remember that that will start to affect the swim. So make sure you match the hook to the to the diver that you're running at the time, whether it's a one thirty or a one ninety. And that's Red's review this week, Patrick. 
That was Red's Review for Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski this summer? Get a quote from Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. It's time for Red's Tip. It is, Patrick, and a lot of people uh, take ice out and look after their fish, which is great. They do. We often talk about how important it is, particularly at the moment with how many people are catching tuna. It's really important that you treat the fish well, otherwise for the amount of fish that's there, you're going to destroy a lot of the, the flesh itself and it's going to be really bloodied. You're spot on and it's about using rice. We'll talk about, we'll, talk, we'll go back to ice. Well, it's about using ice the right time, right place. Uh, not rice. So when you are fishing, take your ice out, put it in your cool box or whatnot or in your fish bags, whatever you're using, your mad fish bags. Now for whiting, I'm just going to cover a couple of species how I do things a little bit differently. With whiting, I don't open the ice. I leave the ice in the bag itself. I use the cool box more as a fridge rather than I do as a slurry. So same as your mad fish bag too. Now I chuck the ice in there. I have two bags of ice that sit there and I'll always have one that goes on top. Now what I mean by that is I'll have fish. So for instance, on the whiting, when you're whiting fishing, you're quite often catching them quite quick. So say when I get a roughly between eight to 12, depending on how quick I'm getting whiting in the bucket on the ground. Now I always have a soft bucket. Chuck a rag in the bottom of it because when they hit, they won't bruise when they flick around. I always, and you can dispatch them by pushing their head back as well. Then you throw them into the, uh, you throw them into the bucket. Now I'm not going to keep opening the cool box every 30 seconds that I catch a fish. I don't want to be doing that because that's letting all the air out. So once I get to that, like I said, eight to 12 fish, I then tip them into that bag, the mad fish bag. And then that ice bag that I said, that third one sits on top. And I guarantee you, your fish will come out 10 times better than what you would by opening all the ice and letting that fresh water melt. Now, people will go, oh, what about an ice slurry? Now, for a fish like a whiting, even snapper, even ice slurries, I find they will affect the flesh of the fish, especially flatted as well. Flatted whiting snapper, because I don't know, the scales aren't that strong, they're not that firm on the outside. So when they go into that water, you you go to fill them and they're quite soft. I don't know if you've had that happen when you try and pull it back and the the flesh breaks all up. So I try and avoid the water aspect as much as possible. The only fish that I put in an ice slurry is tuna. I believe that they're from experience that their skin is so tough. To be honest with you, the belly flap is nearly like fiberglass when you actually cut into it. It actually looks like fiberglass when you cut it. It's very strong. I also fill the guts up with the ice too. And that there, kingfish is very similar to tuna as well. They've got that nice firm flesh. But... I would be 100% putting them into an ice slurry to get them cool because they heat up in the middle out when you're fighting them and quite often you'll have fish on ice all day and you'll get home and you'll get home and then the middle will still be warm. So if tuna, ice slurry with your with your water but more ice rather than, more salt water than fresh water and that is the tip this week on how to look after your fish with ice. That is Red's tip. Now, flying gaff this week, Redman, we're slightly removing ourselves from the sport of fishing. We're heading to the sport of tennis and Frenchman Benoit Pair has unleashed a scathing attack at the Australian Open organisers, describing the event as, I don't know how to pr- pronounce this in, uh, in, in French, shit. <laughs> shit. 
Well, unfortunately, Chief, you got knocked out in the first round and all anyone ever hears when someone complains after being knocked out in the first round is get over it. It's just sour grapes. Everyone else had to go through the same quarantining, which there's 40,000 Australians trying to get back into the country. You're allowed to, you're allowed to do it. And make his millions. <laughs> Well, he made his hundred grand, and now he's off. He's complained about it. So, ben, goodbye to the Frenchman, Ben. You have got the flying gaff for this week. To everyone else, it's time to go fishing. It's Ty Power's Big Footy Final Sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy Final Sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.